Hello, welcome back to Epic. I hope you're doing fine. Today, we're going to talk about future projections and specifically uh, the immediate dangers that climate change poses to mankind. So I'll be going through some articles to give you some uh, quick snapshots of the problems. I highly urge you to actually go and read these articles in full detail. So the first one comes from The Atlantic. And uh, basically, this article talks about a scientific term called RCP. Now, RCP stands for Representative Concentration Pathways. And if you read climate change literature, you'll find RCP mentions uh, mentioned all the time, okay? Especially in studies that use climate models to investigate the 21st century. Each RCP has a value and basically, the, the, the higher it goes, the worse it, it's for us. So the worst case scenario is RCP 8.5, and the best case scenario is 2.6. But I have to say here that under both scenarios, we're still talking about a certain amount of heating. So even if we stopped emitting greenhouse gases today, and you know everybody switched to electric vehicles, say, uh, you're still going to have a certain lag because, as I mentioned before, the carbon particles stay in the atmosphere for quite a long time. And so does methane, by the way. The 8.5 scenario is not very likely, and the reason for that is, well, it, it assumes that we burn a lot of fossil fuels. So the fossil fuel production actually increases, which we're not really seeing right now. Uh, but the prices of renewables have fallen, and renewables have become very competitive on the market just recently. And also coal use peaked in 2013 and has been flat for some years, although recently it's been on the rise, unfortunately. So even if we avoid the 8.5 scenario, we're still talking about a certain amount of heating. And that's because to really help us, we need some technology to remove carbon directly from the atmosphere. And such technology has never existed at industrial scales. The next article comes from The Guardian, and this one talks about how uh, we're messing up nature big time. So the animal populations have plunged an average of 68% since just 1970. And this is because people have pushed the plant's life support systems to the very edge. Uh, wildlife populations are in freefall around the world, uh, driven by human overconsumption, uh, population growth, and intensive agriculture, according to the study. On average, yeah, uh, populations of mammals, birds, fish, amphibians, and reptiles plunged by 68% between 1970 and 2016. This is according to WWF and the Zoological Society of London. If you look more specifically at the regions where the animal populations are decreasing, well, most of that is actually in Latin America, 94%. Uh, the, the smallest one is uh, Europe and Central Asia, 24%. But still, you have a decrease there. The next one comes from Carbon Brief, and it's uh, talking about the Greenland ice sheet. So as mentioned before, it's melting big time. And uh, if it all melts, okay, if the whole thing melts, uh, the water will rise globally by about 7.2 meters, which, which is a lot that would have catastrophic consequences for many places in the world. Even if we keep uh, the warming to reasonable amounts, the Greenland ice sheet is still expected to reach 
unprecedented rates in the coming uh, of melt in the coming decades, contributing significantly to global sea level rise. Now, this one comes from Science Alert, and the ocean is warming at a rate of about five atom bombs per second. You can read this article. Go ahead. But it is true that I think since '98 we added about three billion Hiroshima bombs worth of heat into the ocean. Just think about that. That's that's insane. Okay, that's really unsustainable. So this article was written by a Chinese Academy of Sciences. Yeah, I mean that is very scary. Okay, really scary. And the uh, the other thing which is bad for the ocean, of course, is that with uh, higher CO2 concentration, it means that there is more ocean acidification. The ocean absorbs about 23% of the annual emissions of man-made CO2 to the atmosphere, uh, which helps us in a, in a way, but there is a high ecological cost to the ocean. Uh, CO2 reacts with seawater and increases its acidity. So it endangers organisms and ecosystem surfaces, including food security, uh, by endangering fisheries and aquaculture. And of course, it also affects coastal protection by weakening coral reefs, for example, which shield the coastline and affect tourism. Now, the other issue, of course, is that we are polluting the oceans at a very accelerated rate. And if you're asking who the culprits are, well, it's people, wink, wink. Uh, there's an article from The Guardian, and it, it talks about this very topic. And it says, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle named top plastic polluters for third year in a row. So if we look at the past decades, so 2010 to 2019, let's say, it is generally considered as the warmest decade on record. But it's important to point out here that warming does not distribute equally uh, around the planet. So you might have, let's say, a six degree increase in Seoul, but only a four degrees increase in New York. That's okay, that happens. Between 81 and 2010, the Antarctic sea ice remained relatively close to the long-term average, not much decrease. But in the Arctic, however, uh, the annual minimum sea ice extent was the second lowest on record, and record low sea ice extents, uh, in fact, were observed in July and October 2020. Yale Environment 360, which is a great website, by the way, go check it out. Uh, it points out that record-shattering warmth pushed Arctic temperatures to 12 degrees Fahrenheit above normal. And if you look at the temperature map, you can indeed see that, you know, the temperature is not evenly distributed. So, for example, in the Antarctic, there was a 2 degrees Celsius difference, uh, but in the Arctic, it was nearly 7. So, what does this all mean for us humans? Well, a 4 degrees Celsius in average global temperatures would force humans away from equatorial regions. The vast majority of people will live in high latitude areas where agriculture will be possible. Saharan deserts would expand into southern and central Europe, and two-thirds of the glaciers that feed many of Asia's rivers will be lost. High humidity across many tropical regions will render them uninhabitable, and to the north and south of them will lie belts of inhospitable desert. And if you pay attention to the news these days, uh, the disasters appear to be somewhat accelerating. Life is getting more scary, strange, dislocating, and anxiety-inducing. As soon as one disaster ends, uh, you know, this megafire is over. Now there's another one, and now it's mega flood season. Now it's COVID season. And 
now there's a new pandemic. So we have to understand here that you and I, we were born at the very tail of human stability. Uh, that age is now over and the transition into the age of apocalypse will be very frightening. 2020 was just the beginning. It's going to get much, much worse before it, if, before it ever gets better. If you look at sources like the IPCC report, which is, you know, good source, uh, but generally they tend to be a bit conservative with their estimates. Uh, they say five years ago, they estimated the temperature increase would be about two to three degrees Celsius by the end of the century, but the new estimates pushed that to four to six degrees Celsius. And for people, it means that we'll be dealing with many more catastrophes. Uh, it means that more money is spent on fixing the immediate problems and there is less money going to improving people's quality of life, for example, whether it's healthcare, education, retirement, and so on. To make matters worse, land ecosystems are becoming less efficient at absorbing CO2. So this is according to a New York study that was made in December 2020. They found that basically uh, they're talking about CO2 fertilization effect or CFE. And they found that since 1982, the global average CFE has decreased steadily from 21% to 12% per 100 ppm of CO2 in the atmosphere. And we talked about CO2 concentration before. It's measured in parts per million or ppm. Now, the present trends are not very reassuring. But if you go by an RCP 8.5 scenario, we may reach concentrations of 2,000 ppm. So that would put us on par with levels only experienced, you know, millions of years ago. Even if we, let's say, have a scenario of 4.5, which is average, let's shoot for the average here, uh, we're still going to overshoot 500 ppm. To put it in some context, uh, this was the concentration in the atmosphere about 200 million years ago, when life on Earth was very different from what it is today. Specifically talking about the U.S., so, you know, I'm talking about in 2021, so maybe by the time you watch this in the future, he'll be gone or something, we don't know. Uh, but Senate Majority Le Leader Mitch McConnell even admitted finally that humans help cause global warming. This is from an article from September 2020. In his own state of Kentucky, coal production in the second quarter of 2020 was down 83% from the same period a decade earlier. And coal mining jobs dropped from about 17,000 to around 4,000. And the U.S. government has known very well and for a very long time what was coming. So why didn't it do anything? Well, this is because, you know, the people in power and the ruling class are obsessed with short-term profits. It has to be about filling out their pockets tomorrow instead of thinking about the well-being of the planet and long-term goals. I would like to finish this lecture by telling you the story of the three Earths. In the first scenario, we had late and very uncoordinated action to tackle emissions, which resulted in a steady warming increase, uh, but the most extreme events affect less populated regions, and so they do not raise global concern. There are frequent heat waves in several cities and less snow in mountain resorts such as the Alps, Rockies, and Andes. The global warming goal of 1.5 degrees is actually achieved by 2030, but still no major changes in policies occur. 
Several catastrophic years follow an intense El Niño-La Niña phase in the 2030s. In turn, this causes major heat waves on all continents with deadly consequences in tropical regions. Now, the cost is substantial owing to the combined effects of political instability, losses of ecosystem services, and climate change. By the end of the century, Earth is no longer recognizable, with decreasing life expectancy, reduced outdoor labor productivity, and lower quality of life in many regions because of too frequent heat waves and other climate extremes. The general health and well-being of people is substantially reduced compared to the conditions in 2020 and continues to worsen over the following decades. The second scenario is delayed but decisive action. Uh, internal natural climate variability leads to higher warming than projected. Temperatures are regularly above 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer. I'm guessing this is compared to pre-industrial levels here. Public unrest increases due to deadly heat waves in Chicago, Kolkata, Beijing, Karachi, and Sao Paulo. There are many droughts in Southern Europe and Southern Africa, uh, as well as the Amazon, and flooding in Asia. Costs are very high because people are scrambling to rapidly phase out uh, fuel infra uh, like fossil fuel infrastructure and to upscale renewables owing to a global failure to support economic measures to drive the energy transition. The overall cost is relatively small, but it's offset by large economic losses in ecosystem services. This means that the health and well-being of people decreases from 2020, while the levels of poverty and disadvantage increase considerably, whether you can picture that or not. Finally, the best case scenario, which is early and effective action. Uh, there is strong climate action in all major world regions at the national, state, and city levels. Uh, transport is strongly decarbonized. More cars with electric and combustion engines are sold by 2025. There are also several industry-sized carbon capture and storage, which I mentioned just before, uh, plans installed and tested. The coordinated intensification of agriculture leaves many natural ecosystems relatively intact. Food waste is slashed, and a global move to healthy and more plant-based diets reduces greenhouse gas emissions from meat. Bioenergy sourced from waste, algae, and kelp farms uh, help minimize pressure on food production and biodiversity. The overall cost is pretty small, but with some local losses associated with some extreme weather events. The result is, thanks to risk management and adaptation, human well-being remains overall similar to that of 2020, without COVID, of course. So, in conclusion here, the last scenario, the Earth system is a little bit warmer, but it's still recognizable compared with the early 2000s, and no major tipping points are reached. In the next lecture, I'll do something a little bit different, and I will play the devil's advocate and present a guide to climate change in action. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I recommend checking out the website because it has visuals. It also has a quiz section and answer section. Uh, the easiest way to find it is to go to Google and type Epic Climate Change Course. And usually it brings up the listenable link, but that's just an audio link anyway. Uh, but there might be a YouTube video which has a picture of a tree, a forest, basically. Uh, and so that's it. If you click on that, 
there is a link in there to the main website. So unfortunately, I don't have a domain, so I don't have a direct link. But anyway, uh, stay tuned for more.